Hello, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Malted Muse podcast. As I sit in the bar of a five-star hotel in the Dominican Republic, I raise a glass to my mouth. In the glass is a very generous amount of Johnny Walker whiskey. Now, any statistician would not be surprised by this. Despite the wide range of drinks available, I am a whiskey drinker. Despite a wide range of whiskies on the market available, there are those who sell a lot more than others. Now, put the odds together, and the chances of me having a Johnny Walker are pretty high. The chances of you having heard of Johnny Walker are also very high. It's a leading whisky in the world. But this also leads to a question. Who was Johnny Walker? Is he a man? Is he a myth? Is he something just fabricated for marketing spiel? To answer this question, we need to go to Ayrshire. And... As I can't think of any words better than those of Sir Robert Bruce Lockhart, I will use his words from his book. And it's a book that if you get chance to read, then I strongly recommend that you do so, because it is a beautifully written book, but it's also a book that contains loads and loads and loads of insights and anecdotes that um, are nothing less than just pure treasures. Now, when he talks about Ayrshire, this is what he says, and this is from the book Scotch, the Whiskey of Scotland in Fact and Story, and published in 1951. It is a county of soft climate and hardy men who combine a practical genius for invention with a fine taste for serious literature and philosophy. Nor must I fail to mention their keen interest in politics. Independent and radical in their views, they know their facts, and dismal defeat awaits the parliamentary candidate who comes unprepared to an Ayrshire town. The bubble of his complacency is soon burst, for the locals have a sturdy contempt for the type of oratory which seeks to mask ignorance. The miner reads his marks, and I remember vividly how question time after a lecture on the Soviet Union, which I gave a few years ago, a local shoemaker tested my knowledge with a persistence which was more effective because he was studiously polite and apparently open to conviction. I did not succeed in persuading him that he was wrong but we had a pleasant talk after the meeting, and I left with considerable respect for his skill in debate. Shrewd and thrifty, with an innate dislike of waste and extravagance, Ayrshire men have their feet firmly planted on the earth, and their share of worldly success has been great in relation to their numbers. Ayrshire is the 
County. Ayrshire is the country of Bruce and Burns, of Boswell, of George Douglas Brown, the author of The House with the Green Shutters, of John Galt and John McAdam, the pioneer of modern road-making. In Ayrshire, John Knox, at the age of 60, married the 17-year-old heiress of Ockeltree, and Richard Cameron, the Covenanter, was slain, leaving his name to a religious sect and to a renowned regiment in the British Army. Hard in business, but generous in hospitality, the men of Ayrshire have as profound a knowledge of the legend and ritual of whisky as any Highlander. Within its borders are celebrated the most keenly attended of all the annual Burns dinners, and at Kilmarnock was published the most famous and today most prized edition of the poet's works. It was therefore fit and proper that Ayrshire should make its material as well as its spiritual contribution to Scotch whisky. Johnny Walker was one of these people, a grocer and a wine and spirit merchant. He was to do as many have done. He set the ball rolling. It was his humble beginnings that laid the foundations for later generations to build upon. His premises were on King Street, in the royal borough of Kilmarnock, surrounded by coal fields and served by the railway. It was also known for its high quality carpets. It was these carpets that brought customers to the area and these customers were served with John Walker's whiskey. Whiskey at that time was going through a period of change. Brandy had been hit, Irish whiskey was troubled and Scotch was having to consider the pros and cons of grain whiskey and blends. John Walker also had troubled times. A sudden flooding wiped away his entire stock as well as his neighbours. The impact must have been enormous. Uninsured, he would have struggled to rebuild and the temptation to move on, as many did, must have pulled on him but struggle on he did. Not only that, but he ensured that his son, Alexander, undertake a proper education, and for him that meant a training in business in Glasgow. It was an education that was to pay well, for on his return and his joining the family's business, he utilised that knowledge mixed with his own endless energy. The small outlet moved into wholesale services and then onto looking at exports, not just to England, but to far-flung countries, making use of a joint venture with other traders within a scheme known as the Adventure Merchant Business. It was a starting point, but in itself it was not enough. In 1880, Alexander opened office in Crosby Square, London, and within six years his sons George and John had joined him and they began trading under the name John Walker and Sons Limited. In 1889 Alexander died 
and his third son, Alec, took charge. Now, Alec had also benefited from a good education, in fact, two good educations. He had trained as a lawyer and also as a whiskey expert, a powerful combination, and one very pertinent to the changing times ahead. But he was not alone. Just one year later, he was joined by James Stevenson, also from Kilmarnock. Now, James Stevenson was to have a huge impact on the firm and the world. Up to this time, John Walker and Sons Whiskey had been called Walker's Kilmarnock Whiskey. But then, after buying their own distilleries and opening a branch in Birmingham in 1897, the big change was to happen. It was 1908, and top black and white artist Tom Brown was asked to design a poster for them. To help him, they gave him a portrait of the founder, John Walker. Within minutes, Tom Brown finished a small sketch and at once it was seen as being a winner. This was The Walking Man. It was enlarged and it had the slogan, Johnny Walker, born 1820, still going strong, attached to it. And without doubt, that logo is still going strong. And it's become one of the greatest iconic images of all time. So is Johnny Walker a real person? Is he myth or is he marketing spiel? And I suppose the real answer is there's a bit of everything in there. For what I've read, the original John Walker was a real man, if I'm allowed to say such things. He had guts, he had determination, he had dedication, and he knew how to prioritise things by providing education for his son and by putting down that firm foundation of a business. But he wasn't alone. Alexander took it on to the next level and he wasn't alone. His sons and Alex in particular took that on even further. Alex who perhaps didn't get all the praise and recognition that maybe he deserved, he pushed that forward using great skill. And James Stevenson, he came in as well. Again, taking it further, pushing it further. And James Stevenson's, who had influence within Parliament itself, was to make such great impact upon this world of whiskey. And of course, the skill of that artist, Tom Brown, who formulated that into a visual image of the walking man, an image that, as I have said before, is still there today. Now, is Johnny Walker real? You betcha he is. Now, as I said at the beginning of this episode, I'm sat here in this lovely five-star hotel enjoying a glass of Johnny Walker. What I didn't say is what specific Johnny Walker it is. And what I've got here is a glass of the Johnny Walker Black Label, aged 12 years. It's seen as being that little bit more special than the, the more common red label, but they're both fine whiskies. 
and I'm enjoying the lovely dark colour of it, I'm enjoying the way that it clings to the glass even in the extreme heat that I'm in and I'm enjoying that lovely fresh nose and malty smooth texture that this whiskey has but it also gets me thinking when I think about some of the other whiskies that this establishment have got They've got the Shiva's 12 years old. They've got both those Johnny Walker's red and black. They've got Jack Daniels. They've got Jim Beam. They've got some Jameson, some Vat 69. They've got a whole range of other classic whiskies here as well. Some of which I've not heard of before because there be whiskies that are made more for the export market. But they all have got a certain something in common. And the thing that they've got in common to me is the range are well-known brands of whiskey and they're easy drinking whiskies they're whiskies that are there to please the majority what you haven't got any are any of those strongly full-on characterful whiskies and i don't mean that in a rude way to any of these whiskies that are here before me but there aren't any of those grasping Taliskers or Isla whiskies. There's not even any of the more distinctive American whiskies. What we have got is whiskey here that are tried and tested for the majority of people. In many ways, from the hotel management's point of view, they are the safe whiskies to put out. But that's okay because that's what this establishment is for and it is very hot and as much as I like those beautiful peaty Ida whiskies and other whiskies like them I must confess in this heat it may be just that little bit too much I might even be resorted to having to mix them down into a cocktail or something and of course that is what is happening here when I look at people drinking around me, very few people are going for the, the raw, undiluted spirit. People are mixing it with Coke. People are mixing it with a variety of sweet cocktails, fruit juice, pineapple. Other emulsifying agents are going into this, these drinks to make these beautiful, colored, creamy-looking concoctions that I must confess some of which taste really nice but it's not whiskey as I like to drink whiskey. Those strong characterful independent flavoursome whiskies they're not to be seen here but that is okay because this isn't the playground of those whiskies. There is however a whiskey here that I have seen in some of the bars but strangely enough not in what in this establishment known as the preferred club bars this area restricted for those who want to pay a little bit extra where the drinks are a bit more of the premium nature in the other bars you can get Johnny Walker red in the bar here you can get Johnny Walker black as well but what you can't get here but you can in the other bars is Cutty Sark and I find that quite strange because I'm here in the Caribbean and of all the places I would want to see Cutty Sark in the premium end, it would be here. Because Cutty Sark has such an affinity to this area. Listen back to my previous episode about Cutty Sark. 
and find out in there about how it relates to this area, the story of the birth of Cutty Sark and how that came down via the Caribbean to break into the American market during Prohibition. It's a story that I find fascinating and it's a story that I can't help but think about as I sit here with the cool breeze blowing over my sunburnt skin. Well, I'm still here in the Caribbean, I'm still enjoying five-star luxury, and I'm still away from the normal editing equipment that I would use, so I've not been able to sort of merge things together as well as I'd like, so I apologise for any repetition or if things seem to be a bit out of order. There's been some good things and some bad things happening, and I want to include these within this episode of the podcast. On the good side of it, I've been able to perform an impromptu whiskey tasting event here at the resort using whiskies that are available in the bars here and around. These aren't single morts, these are the resort friendly, shall we say, whiskies. The Johnny Walker, the Cutty Sark, the Jack Daniels and the Jim Beam. Cutty Sark especially because it has a story that is so pertinent to this area and there's been a knock-on effect from that that I'm sure Berry Brothers and Rudd would be pleased to know about in a strange sort of a way and that is shortly after the uh, tasting event I went round the bars around the area and the three most immediate bars from where we did the whiskey tasting had run out of Cutty Sark that quickly these are bottles that have been on the shelf for some time and suddenly it's all gone and I'd like to take some credit for that. So that's the tasting event. Now in relation with that tasting event I did mention this on, on Twitter and on Facebook and I did get a reply from someone saying is there going to be tasting notes? Um, and I thought about putting tasting notes out on this episode and then I got another request of why not put typed notes onto the blog. Well, I, I'm not too sure if I consider my website as being a blog because of the way that I treat it. That That's not its function. It's really there to support the single cask whiskey that I'm putting out and as a platform really for the podcast which is where my main interest lies. So I'm not too sure whether I think of it as a blog and I'm not really that keen on the idea of putting out regular tasting notes more long tasting notes as and when they come so there there may be some tasting notes coming up in the future but i don't want to fall into the trap of being another site that has lots and lots of tasting notes because no disrespect there's plenty of those out there already for people to look at and maybe I don't think that my view of the tasting notes should be that influential on other people at this time. So thanks for the suggestion, I'm going to bear that suggestion in mind. It's something I may well respond to in the future and actually I'm thinking about doing an episode um, all around the, the aspects of tasting notes and going into a bit more detail in that. 
Yes, okay, I'm in the Caribbean, but that doesn't mean I'm completely out of touch with everybody else. And whilst I'm enjoying my time here, there are a few things that are happening that I'm quite sad to be missing out on. One, of course, is Whiskey Live happening in Scotland at the moment. Oh, I so wish that I could be there, but you can't have everything. And the other thing that I'd wish I'd been part of, uh, but I just won't get back in time to be able to go to it, and that's at Kilbegan's Distillery. They've got an open day celebrating one million visitors to the Kilbegan Distillery. And that's going to be on Saturday, 10th of September 2011. It's going to run from 12 noon through to 6 o'clock. There's going to be free whiskey tastings, distillery tours, food, entertainment, music in the afternoon. And if you want more information on that, the website www.kilbegandistillery.com is the place to go. Or you can phone them on 057 933 2134 and you've still got time to email them info at killbegandistillery.com If I could get there, I would be there. It sounds brilliant time. Well, I would want to finish this episode and I'm going to finish it not on a particularly happy note but what I think is an important note and I'm sure Mark Gillespie of Whiskey Cast won't mind me taking something from his Facebook page because I'm sure he wants this to get as much publicity or as much notice rather as it gets. The headline of, of what he's put out on Facebook I think says it all anyway and what he's written is what part of don't drink and drive do people not understand. Now I'm not somebody who every week puts out a little notice on the podcast saying please drink responsibly. I like to think that people can be responsible without that reminder. I do do it occasionally. And yet Mark yet again has shown that obviously people don't always take that level of responsibility. What he's spoken about is the fact that one of his daughters lost a college classmate over the Labour Day weekend. She'd gotten into a car with a driver who'd been drinking and the car went out of control, crashed and a friend was killed. Now that is such a sad loss of life and there really is no need, there is no excuse for it. And there's lessons to be learned there. Don't drink and drive. Don't get involved with people that are drinking and driving. Sometimes you can get into a car, you don't know that the driver's been drinking. Um, but it's a responsibility of all of us really to try to stamp out this revolting habit that still goes on in the world drink driving drink it is a drug it does affect us we have to treat it with care as i said in the previous episode whiskey may well be a majestic animal but it's not a tame animal we have to treat it with respect we have to treat it with responsibility and there is really no excuse for drink driving so please don't do it and mark my condolences to your family and thank you very much for yet again raising this important issue to us.
Well, thank you again for listening to this episode of the More to Muse podcast. If you haven't heard them already, there is a back catalogue of other episodes available on iTunes. And if anybody wants to contact me, they can do so. My email address is jim at themaltedmuse.com. There's the website, www.themaltedmuse.com. And there's also Twitter, Twitter at themaltedmuse. So thank you again for listening. I hope you'll listen next week. And until then, thank you and goodbye.